if it's important, it has to be a priority. And for us, strength, speed, power, all of that stuff is important. Coaches are missing half the boat because strength, power, speed, all those capacities give you the ability to be more skillful. Um, the analogy we use all the time is is if everything you do on a field, skill-wise, is a drop of water, you know, it lessens everything that's involving the skill is a drop of water. What would you rather be putting that water into, a, a one-gallon bucket or a five-gallon bucket? Hey, and welcome to Ahead of the Curve, your source for the most up-to-date baseball coaching strategies for player and coaching development. This is Jonathan Gellner. On today's show, we have on Zach Dakin, Director of Strength and Conditioning for TCU Baseball. He opens the doors for us to see basically everything that they do in the weight room. He also talks about how they lift in the off-season and in the in-season, and why they put all of their freshmen through a developmental group as soon as they hit campus. Let's get this one started with Zach Dakin. Coach Dakin, thank you for being on Ahead of the Curve. Yeah, thanks, Jonathan. I appreciate you uh, inviting me and, and look forward to uh, to a good conversation. Oh, I, I am as well. I'm absolutely looking forward to it. I have been for some time. Tell us a little bit about your story and how you got to where you are today. Well, I uh, played. I was an athlete in high school, obviously. I went to a really small school, a town of... 300 people or so. We didn't have a weight room. We didn't have a strength coach. So I started buying weights when I was a freshman in high school with money I made in the summers uh, working on a farm. And that That's kind of how I got into uh, strength and conditioning. I, I didn't know what route I wanted to go into when I went to college. And one day my dad said, you know, you've been studying weight training and had a lift for the last four or five years. Why don't you go into that? And a light bulb kind of went off. And that's to be honest, how I got into strength and, strength and conditioning, played football in college, and my strength coach, I actually chose the college I went to, Missouri State, because of my strength coach. He was uh, well-known in the field, and, and uh, I wanted to learn and develop after him. So that's, uh, that's really what, what kind of got me into it. Well, that's awesome. So what roads led you to TCU? Well, I, uh, from, from Missouri State, I went to the University of Washington as an intern for kind of my first position. From there, I went back to Missouri State as a GA and then spent two years with the Anaheim Angels in their organization. TCU was looking for somebody. Our, our department's a little unique in that the strength coach works with football and baseball, whereas a lot of departments, it's, it's kind of a separate entity. And since I had played college football and been with the Angels for several years, that gave me a leg up, and, and uh, here I am. Well, that's awesome. The TCU Baseball Clinic is one of my favorite clinics around. It's one of the best ones that I've been to. And you guys and Coach Schlossenegel obviously have it going on down there. So tell us what it's like to be part of the staff there and what are some things that, you took, that you've taken from Coach Schlossenegel. You know, to be honest, it's, for me, it's, it's a perfect situation in that Coach gives me uh, control of, of all facets of, of what we do performance-wise, you know. Um, I control running programs, um, lifting programs. He, uh, he's a full believer in training in season, which a lot of coaches aren't, and, and it kind of takes a backseat to baseball, but we don't necessarily put it in front of baseball, but, but coach makes it a huge emphasis to, uh, to train in season. So yeah, I'm really fortunate in the way that they, uh, they treat me and I'm a part of the staff. It couldn't be a better situation. Well, and if I remember right, you guys were throwing around some really heavy weights at the college world series last year. Yeah, the last uh, last couple of years, I've I've posted a few things from the College World Series, and 
to be honest, our kids are at their strongest in season, which is what we want to be. I'm not training athletes to be power lifters, football players, bodybuilders. You know, we're not training for the off season. We train in the off season for the in season. So it drives me crazy when, when you see a high school kids, athletes, college athletes that don't continue training in season when they build all this, all these uh, measurables in the off season and then they stop training completely. To me, it really makes no sense. It's, it's a three steps forward, four or five steps backward every year. We're starting at the bottom of the mountain. So, you know, we, we really make in-season training a priority. And we have 24 to 26 weeks of uninterrupted training, which you don't get that in an off-season. You don't get that at any other point in the year. Uninterrupted so our guys can make huge gains, and we really take advantage of that. So what do lifts look like during the season for you guys, and how do you make time for them? Um, in the fall, depending on the time, obviously we have uh, different blocks and things like that. But but during the fall, for the most part, we're a five day a week program. So we we consider ourselves uh, consider ourselves a high low program. Our high intensity days are Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Our low intensity days are Tuesday, Thursday. So what those look like, you know, high intensity day is a s- speed and power is what we start with in the indoor. Uh, from there, we move into the weight room, and we're training total body. We train the body like it's used on the field from, from head to toe. We don't really split body parts up, upper and lower days or anything like that. For the most part, we train the body like we want to use it. So uh, those lifts usually last you know, anywhere from 75 to 90 minutes on that day. And like I said, we're training all high-intensity means. So speed, power, strength, if we need size, those are all in the, uh, on those Monday, Wednesday, Fridays. Our low-intensity days, Tuesday and Thursdays, the kids come in, it's kind of an optional optional day for them, but um, the kids come in and they, they do all their soft tissue work, any individual programming that we have from them that we've discovered in a movement screen. We do small muscle groups on those days, rotator cuff, some glute work, core. And we do a lot of movement training those days. We want to we reset the system so that they're ready to go when those high, those high days come back around. So on your high-intensity days, do you guys lift heavy? or light with a lot of reps and what's your philosophy on that well to be honest it depends on the the time of year that we're that we're looking at in the off season early in the off season our guys are using a little bit lighter weight we're trying to reset reset their body to uh getting them getting the uh, habit of lifting again you know we don't know what they did over the summer over their summer ball seasons um a lot of them don't have access to weight room so for the most part we might not be doing a lot of high reps but it is a lighter weight we're trying to groove technique again as we build in the off season, yeah, we're increasing the weight. We're we're going to challenge our guys. How the fall kind of breaks out or breaks up is the first four weeks is, which is what we have right now, is a reintroduction for our athletes. So, like I said, we're reintroducing the the the, the movement patterns that we want to teach them. We're resetting everything that they might have lost over the summer. From there, we work into uh, our uh, fall ball, which is an in season period for us. We're still working on development, but that kind of takes a backseat to the. Uh, to the practices and to the uh, to the inter squad games that we're going to play. Um, after that, we're looking at a basic uh, five to seven week block where we're trying to either gain strength, speed, power. We're looking to raise all those measurables, but it kind of depends on the team that we have at the time whether whether we're focused on one or the other. But yeah, that's that's kind of when our our heavier weight kicks in, and we're trying to uh, we're trying to get the guys big and strong. I know that there's a lot of our listeners that don't have the luxury of having a strength and conditioning coach. Now, are there a set 
core lifts that you guys work around all the time or do you just change it up depending on year or tell us what your thoughts are as far as absolutes go you know for 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 coaches that have to you know baseball coaches that have to have a dual role how we handle our freshmen and our developmental group so those are all of our incoming kids that have never been with us um and this is even what i do with my high school kids that that i train in camps and things like that we have a foundation program that is based around five major movements. So our first movement is a squat pattern. Um, that's number one for us. What we use in that in that instance is a front squat. Our second uh, our second pattern is a hip hinge. That's an RDL for us. We're one, we want to teach the hip hinge. The third pattern is a push up. You're combining a lot of core stability, scapular movement. We're not a big uh, bench press, dumbbell bench press, anything like that program. Our fourth pattern is a as a horizontal pull, so a reverse. Wow pull up or a um, inverted row some might call it and then our fifth pattern is our iso core series so you're talking about planks front side back the entire core and some people think the core is just the abs the core is not just the abs it's the entire corset around the uh, around the spine for the most part no i love that and i know that we as high school coaches are really trying to differentiate for our players now is there a good way to do that well, um, you know, it, it becomes tough when, when you're playing a dual role with, with uh, coaching and, and being the strength, strength guy on the side. For high school, I really don't know if there's, there's a need to uh, differentiate. We don't differentiate a whole lot with, with my high school kids, like I said, in my, in my camps. We're training them to be, to be athletic for the most part. Like I said, we're not focused on bench press and a, and a whole lot of upper body, uh, upper body mass. But we're training them in correct movement patterns that are going to benefit them, regardless of whether they're a pitcher, position player, you know, wherever they play on the field. Okay, so is there a difference between pitcher lifts and position player lifts? You talk, you just mentioned that it depends on where they're playing on the field. So, do you guys break them up whenever you get to campus into pitchers versus position players? Yeah, we we do. We, uh, but again, that kind of depends on the uh, on the time of the year, the the level of the athlete. So our younger athletes, like we talked about, the developmental group that comes in, we don't break those kids up. Um, everything we do is, again, based on movement patterns. And we're trying to train them, train them the right way to uh, kind of enter into our program. From there, they'll break up into a, pos- a pitcher and position. And what separates those, those athletes, to be honest with you, are more upper body than lower body. Um, and, and again, it depends on the time of the year. We do a neutral grip uh, bench press with our position players, uh, for instance, versus our pitchers are all push-up based. We, we don't do anything pressing-wise. I've seen trouble with that in the past, and we kind of you know, gravitated away from that. Push-ups are great for, for athletes in general, but great for pitchers because you're, you're getting, like I said, core stability, but you're getting you know, muscles like the serratus anterior that's super, super, super important for an overhead athlete. You're getting the scaps to move. Again, super, super important. So we do a lot of push-ups with those guys. And then there's some things as we get into more specific development down the road that becomes much more aligned with what they do on a mound versus what a position player does. And, and, and a lot of that takes over even during our speed work. You know, our speed work, we differentiate a pitcher from a position player as we get into it. I'm interested to hear in what your, your speed work differentiation looks like, if, if you could go into detail about that for us. Well, sure. Depending on the time of year, again, there's 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 so many variables in this, sure. but 
our our pitchers will separate pitchers out from infielders, from outfielders, from uh, we used to even separate catchers out a little bit. But our our pitchers do mostly uh, short short sprints, but we'll also work a little bit on deceleration. We actually I shouldn't say a little bit with those guys. We work a ton on deceleration, controlling their body because and and the reason we say that is. We want these kids to be able to field a ground ball and throw to first base without – you see it all the time. Kid goes to field a ground ball, bad position, feet slip out from under him, can't make the throw, run safe, guy's safe at first. We, we don't want that stuff happening. You know, Think about that happening. That seems like a very little thing, but think about that happening in the eighth or ninth inning of a Game 3 Super Regional. That's a huge, huge thing now. So we teach a ton of deceleration and body control with those guys. Some days we actually go over into our basketball court and we have reaction balls that we'll do a little bit of reaction ball work with those guys. If you've ever seen the six-sided balls that, you know, jump in every direction that you can imagine. Sure. We'll do some of that. We'll do some of that with those guys. But a lot of it, uh, we get into um, a lot of our speed stuff also incorporates uh, jumps and, and specific jumps for those guys, specific med ball throws. I all kind of, I kind of throw that all under the umbrella of, of our speed and power work that happens before the lift for our position players we train the infielders with a lot of uh, lateral reactive uh, movement so you know i'll give you an example of a drill we'll line these guys up in groups of maybe four or five on the 20 yard line in an athletic position and they have either a sprint 10 yards on either side so they might be running through the 10 or the 30 they don't know um, on a specific reaction they'll have to sprint the direction that you know myself points or an intern or uh, something that, that, that cues them to go that way. So they don't know which way they're going, similar to what they're doing on a field. You know, there's not a lot of agility that happens on a baseball field. Everything is linear. But you might start in a, in a uh, athletic position and have to go sideways for a touch before you end up sprinting. You might have a crossover run. But for the most part, everything is linear. Whether you're getting a ball in the hole, an outfielder's running to a ball in the gap, it should be straight. If it's not straight, then you probably have bigger problems than, than we can help you here. But, you know, um, everything's linear. We just change the positions that we do it out of. And I'm thinking of it from a high school standpoint, and there may be some college coaches out there that are wondering this as well, but do you guys have time limitations? Because, again, I'm thinking from it in a high school standpoint, we might have three days in the weight room throughout the week with maybe an hour so is there a certain ratio that we should be using that for, which is strength or or speed, or can you give me some advice regarding that? Well, you know, every situation is a little bit different for, for us with uh, the way I do it with my, uh, with my younger athletes, like I talked about my high school kids. We uh, combine the two. So we generally take about an hour to maybe an hour and 10 minutes at, at most, but we combine the two so we get, you know, 15, 15, 20 minutes in of uh, speed work. We throw med ball throws into the workout, some jumps into the workout. So we superset a lot of things. One way that we do that, if our main movement for the day, like uh, our main movement for the day might be a trap bar deadlift, we'll superset um, 10 yard uh, ten yard starts with them, you know, out of a lateral position. Um, or we might superset uh, some type of jump. A 10 pound, we'll hold 10 pound plates. We have uh, plates with handles in them. We, we'll superset five uh, reactive vertical jumps with that uh, later on in the workout we'll throw in med ball throws things like that so we're trying to cover all our bases but we superset a lot of activities back and forth so uh, upper and lower just to save to save the body a little bit 
but yeah, we can, it's, you know, in an hour period, it's, it's, it's okay to get, it's okay to get all that in, you know, my recommendation is a little bit half and half for each one, 30 minutes for, for speed and power, 30 minutes for strength. By speed work, immediately what comes to mind to me is the old school ladder agility drills. Now that's not what you're talking about at all, is it? Yeah, no, we're not, we're not real big on the ladder. You know, the ladder's Honestly, it's it's we use it as a warm-up tool, and that's really as far as it goes. That's it's not a it's not it doesn't create foot speed, it doesn't create true speed, anything like that. What we're talking about is we're talking about all-out sprints. So we change the position, lateral facing uh facing one direction, lateral facing the other, athletic position facing forward. I mean that's a, that's a position that infielders are going to be on every every play. We might have them creep even, you know, we'll, we'll tell them to creep a little bit and then we'll give them a reactive direction to sprint, you know, 10 yards or so. But everything we do in, this, in, in our speed training is full speed. We want our, to be fast. You have to train fast. And that's what we're doing with our athletes. Then we give them full recoveries um, over 10 yards. We usually give them, you know, a minute rest in between because it's not, uh, not, not that fatiguing. As we work out further and further, we give them a little bit more rest. We're not trying to. We're not trying to make anybody throw up. It's not conditioning for us. This is speed, and in order for us to get to be fast, we want to train fast. Well, and I really liked what you said earlier about baseball being a reaction sport, not necessarily an agility sport, and that if we want to get the best out of our athletes, then we need to train that reactive piece as well. If you truly look at what a baseball player does, he reacts to a stimulus, which is the ball coming at him. And then he runs in a straight line somewhere. You know, there's not there's not cone drills, there's not there's not ladder drills, there's no agility involved for the most part. It's a crossover run. He might have to open up and run, but it's a straight line to a point where he's obviously trying to get the ball. Um, so that's 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 really what we incorporate into our speed development for our you know if we're doing position specific speed, that's how we incorporate it. We have we've had outfielders start in an athletic position. And like I said, we give them a reaction, and they turn and run the distance that we want them to, but uh, in, a, in a straight line. So switching gears a little bit, there has been a lot of discussion about when to get lifts in. Because, again, the old school is we're going to get up at 530 to create toughness. And now with more and more research that's coming out, they're saying that sleep is literally the most important thing you can do for recovery. So when do you guys make time to lift? Sure. Well, <laughs> we're I guess the old school toughness crowd. No, our guys, our guys lift at six forty-five in the morning right now. And you know the reason there's there's so many reasons. One is TCU has a small class schedule, so we don't have a lot of options um, outside of that. You're looking at practice schedules in the afternoon, study hall time, everything. You know, weight room size, other teams that are lifting. We only have one weight room here at TCU, which is which is plenty for us. But we've also got 17 teams to accommodate, so scheduling can be can be a factor in some of that. But for us to get our work in, we we do do it early. Yeah, and you're right. There's there's plenty of research out there that talks about sleep and you know not not lifting in the morning because a lot of times it's uh it can be a little bit rough on the low back, things like that. There's really no there's no perfect situation right now for us. Our scenario, it's perfect for us. But you know, when you when you look at the uh, overall program, yeah, there's there's you know situations that we have to deal with from outside circumstances. No, and it's 
perfectly individualized as well. And obviously, 6.45 works for you. I just remember getting up at 5.30 and going to bed at 11 o'clock going, man, I... Man, this is right. <laughs> this is probably not the best situation to do this. Sure, no, you're no, you're 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 right, and and to be honest, the older I get, the earlier I go to bed now. But like I said, everybody thinks that we're at this we're at this perfect uh, or our program is a perfect scenario, perfect situation. I mean, we deal with we deal with issues all the time as far as scheduling and and uh, when we can get this workout in and. It, there's only a perfect scenario for each, you know, individual. And so what works for us, you know, might not work for somebody else. But I will say this, you know, one of the other reasons that we started the earlier workouts when I first got here, and this was 10 years ago, whether you want to call it toughness or whatever, it was for culture development. We are really big on, on discipline and, and culture. And one of the ways to, to kind of keep kids from you know, going out and doing doing things that they shouldn't be doing late at night. One of the one of the ways is to to make them focus on getting up in the morning and and doing their baseball stuff. We know they're going to go out and have fun and and do stuff that college kids do. What we tell them is, you need to do that stuff where it doesn't affect what we're trying to accomplish on the baseball field. And one of those things is, you know, starting in the weight room at six forty-five. Make sure that whatever you're doing at night or when you're doing your stuff. It doesn't affect what we're trying to accomplish as a team. So yeah, some of that is based around culture, but there's a lot of other factors that go into when you know when we can train. Sure, and to just further your point, there's not a lot of jobs that they're going to be going to after they get done at TCU when whenever they're in the professional world that won't be starting around seven o'clock anyways. Right. I mean, to be honest, six forty-five in the morning, seven o'clock in the morning. Our kids, our, our, our kids all live close. I mean, most of them are on campus. The kids are getting up at 6.15, 6.30, grabbing something quick to eat, and they're, they're you know, running to the weight room. So is it an ideal situation? No, not necessarily, but you, they'll live. Is there something that you guys do that's really unique to TCU that most other schools don't do? I've actually got two ways to answer that question. The first thing I would say is we are a huge front squat program. We stopped back squatting seven, probably six, seven, eight years ago, somewhere in there. We're seeing a huge influx of pars fractures happening at the high school level now. Uh, this this latest recruiting class, actually, I think we had five or six guys come in with with uh, pars issues. And and, where, of, and where's that at? Out of twelve, out of twelve athletes. So you're you're talking lumbar spine. Okay. Basically, it's a stress fracture in the lumbar spine from from overuse. Um, these guys are extending and rotating all day, every day, select games, uh, tournaments, practices at their high school, lessons, all this stuff. And it's an overuse injury. It's a stress fracture from overuse. There's a lot of factors that go into it, but that's that's primarily what it stems from is overuse. But yeah, so we eliminated the uh, back squat in our program, and, and all we do is front squat now for, like I said, the past, I don't know, six or seven years. And we haven't looked back. To me, it's it's been a blessing that we implemented that because now what we don't see, and everybody sees this with with kids that they have back squat. You know, you have a you have a rough day, and you got a kid come up and say, ah, oh, you know, I, I tweaked my back a little bit squatting, and it's giving me a little bit of pain, a little bit of problem. Whether you're training your athletes right or not, you always have a kid or two throughout a semester, throughout you know, that always 
tweak their back a little bit doing the back squat. When we eliminated the back squat, we do not have problems with backs anymore. It's amazing. And you guys still deadlift quite a bit. Yeah, so it depends on it depends on uh, what group you're in. Our developmental kids, um, our developmental kids usually don't deadlift the first year. Those those are uh, it's more for our advanced guys that are kind of higher up in the program um, as far as development goes. Our position players will do it quite a bit in the off season. We uh, our our pitchers will uh, deadlift in the off season. The older pitchers will. Once we move to the in season, they do not deadlift at all. So we do a lot more single leg work to supplement for the uh, deadlift. Um, the other thing I was going to say, you know, I, I forgot about it. Our, the second part of that question that I was going to get at, which is, uh, you know, what we do differently, is sure. I, I kind of touched on it earlier, was the in-season training. We are, we are huge on in-season development. Our kids still lift, for the most part, our kids are in the weight room three times a week in the in-season. And like I said earlier, that's when our kids are the strongest. We have, we have kids blow the doors off previous weights during the in season um you know e- even as we get into the postseason you saw two years ago on uh, on twitter we posted a video of a kid hitting a, a new pr and a 600 pound deadlift during the world series at the college world series i remember that. Now, he that was, was a kid awesome. that he was kind of one of our uh, our bench contributor guys so he wasn't an everyday starter but uh, that, that goes to show you how strong our kids are in the in-season versus the off-season. You know, in the off-season, I don't know if he deadlifted 500 pounds, to be honest with you. So you guys are playing quite a bit during the week. How do you make time to do that? Do you do it in the mornings? Um, that's all based on class schedule once we get there to the in-season. So we break them up into smaller groups, uh, again, based on class schedule, so we can let them sleep a little bit. We have a group that starts, I think, at 7.30 or 8 in the morning, somewhere there, um, usually our younger guys. Um, a lot of those guys might not be playing, so it's not really as rough on them, I guess. But uh, they've got a heavier class load throughout the day, so those guys will usually come in a little bit earlier. And then we'll have another group at maybe 10 and, and 12 throughout the day. And, again, it just depends on there, – there's a lot of factors that go into the season lifts, but usually we're looking at kind of a Monday, Wednesday, Friday-type schedule. A lot of times one of those days is an off day for us, so it's, it's you know, as per NCAA rules, it's, it's kind of an optional lift that the kids, will, uh, that the kids will, will have the option to come in and do. So what would you say the biggest difference between your off-season lifts are versus what your in-season lifts are? During the off-season, obviously, we're, we're worried about development. We focus a lot more on speed. Once the in-season period starts, we, we drop all of our speed, and a lot of our, a lot of our power training, to be honest. So a lot of our uh, horizontal stuff, med ball throws, anything in a rotational plane, we actually take that out and eliminate that in the in season because when we looked at it, the kids are taking two, three, four hundred swings a day, possibly, over in the cages, BP, everything that's going on, you know, early work, and so we supplement all of our rotational training in the in season with stability work, core stability work. Basically, just to, to shore up the uh, to shore up the uh, core a little bit. Other things in the in season, baseball is a priority during that time. It's we're huge on injury prevention because if the kids aren't on the field, then they're 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 not good as they're not any good for us as a baseball player. That's why they're here. So huge take on injury prevention. With that being said, we still train the kids hard, but we're very cognizant of each athlete and we auto regulate the workout to them. So. Kid comes in fatigued. He's got a chance. He he can change his workout, adjust his workout as needed, versus a kid that uh, 
a kid that you know is is super hyped up, ready to go, feels great. He's going to adjust his workout, you know, a different way than the than the kid that came in uh, fatigued. So they have a lot of uh, they we have a lot of trust in our athletes, and and they have a lot of say in in how their workout goes in the end season. So is that just basing it on on maybe weight and sets? If they're fatigued, they just come in and do a little bit less weight and a little bit fewer sets. Yeah, I mean. There's we we adjust intensity and volume. So when you think about it, a kid like uh, Evan Skalg, our catcher from last year um, in the minors now, a kid like Evan Skalg playing five games a week, uh, catching five games a week, is doing something completely different than you know your right fielder is, than your first baseman is. Think about the fatigue that he's going or that he's facing versus you know a kid that maybe he's a bench contributor, one of our tier two athletes that comes in and and spot plays on a Tuesday night. So we, the freedom we give those guys is to change intensity and volume throughout their workout. We might have two ranges of percentages. So if the percentage for you know our, our heavier group is 80%, we might give uh, 60 to 65 to our lighter group. And then they have the, they have the choice to drop reps, um, sets off the entire workout. Um, they have the freedom to do that, change it as they want. No, I love that, and that's throwing a lot of ownership on them. And I, I'm going to go ahead and throw this out there, too. I don't think that Skalk missed the weight room a ton no. while he was there. I mean, he's yeah, he's a good example to use as far as how much he played. But as far as him cutting anything out of the weight room, he's not a great example because he's the kid's a machine and he feeds off the weight room. You couldn't ask for a better kid as far as as far as uh, as far as the weight room goes. Well, that's awesome. Another thing that that we get a lot is the coaches who can't who say they can't make time for the weight room in season so what's your best advice for coaches who say that you know my best advice off the top of my head is if it's important you have to make time and to me it is that's the biggest that's the biggest issue i see at the high school level is that we have athletes that that train their tail off in the off season and and get to the in season and and do nothing and regress you know I've seen kids throw on PRs as far as bullpens go in the off season. They get to the in season and they immediately lose lose velocity because they're not training anymore. And that's when you want to be training. It kind of uh, confuses me. And I understand that there's we run into time problems and things like that. But to me, if it's important, you have to make time somewhere. Um, whether that's taking you know thirty minutes out of a practice, I guess, or and, and again, it's tough for me to say because I'm not at the high school level and I don't know the schedules and the rigors that, that you, guys, you guys deal with. But again, if it is important, you have to make time for it somewhere, whether it's one, two, two days a week, you know, which is, which is enough to maintain and even develop some of your athletes. Try to make time. I mean, let me ask you this. Let sure. me ask you this. As a high school coach, uh, what are the uh, issues that you guys face as far as being able to lift in season? Well, in season, it's just the um, the volume that we play for different states. Here in Texas, once we get into districts, we only play twice a week. But whenever when I was in Oklahoma, we would play, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Friday, Saturday. And luckily, we had a good strength coach who we lifted on Monday mornings because mm-hmm. we always had Sunday off, so we always had the day before off, and we would sure. lift on Thursday mornings because we always had Wednesday off. So that was yeah. good. We always found a way to get two days in, but I hear that you know that we can't make time for it a lot, and so I was just you know obviously I wanted to get sure. your advice on that. 
Oh yeah, I hear it all the time. Well, you know, here here's the other thing is we actually train our guys on game days. Our guys come in and train on game days. Now, depending on what level they what level they are, if they're a tier one, tier two, tier three guy. So our starters might have a recovery workout, but they're coming in, they're moving around, they're doing some activation exercises, they're basically priming the system a little bit. Our our guys that maybe contribute here and there, they come in and actually train. Our developmental kids that are under them, they'll come in and, and do a hard lift. Um, we take that time to actually develop them. But our kids will lift on game days. And with a high school kid, honestly, the development, those kids aren't developed well enough to on a, to, to, to be fatigued from a training session prior to a game. You know, if you guys were training at, you know, 7.30 in the morning or 7 in the morning for 30 minutes and having a game that evening, that's truthfully plenty of time for recovery. And the biggest thing that you see is if you're consistent with with your training and with lifting and, and everything that goes into it, if you're consistent, kids aren't going to be sore. They're not going to be fatigued. They're not, you know, you, you, can, you can develop so much in that in-season period if you're consistent with your lifts. And, you know, people want to change things and, and change exercises and reps and everything. If you did the same exercises, same reps, same same weight even, your kids would, would get development out of that. And you wouldn't be looking at soreness or any of the problems that are commonly associated with that, you know, that scare people if you can maintain a rigid schedule. And that's what we do so well is we maintain the rigid schedule of consistency so that our athletes aren't sore. Because the biggest problem I saw when I was in pro ball and then came came to TCU for the first year was pitchers, well, we don't want to lift this kid. You know, he's a reliever. He might throw tomorrow. So we don't want him to be sore. Don't lift him. Well, then he wouldn't throw tomorrow. He didn't throw. So he comes in and lifts. Well, he since he hasn't lifted for five or six days, now the kid's sore. Well, the coach says, well, I can't have him sore. He's going to have to throw this weekend. Don't I don't want him lifting. So then the kid doesn't lift, but then he doesn't throw that weekend. And it just becomes a huge cycle of don't lift him because he might throw. But then he doesn't throw, and now it's two weeks before the kid's lifted. He gets sore again. We maintain consistency so well that we don't have those problems. And if and if you maintain that, like I said, a rigid schedule, you won't come up. You won't come across kids being sore and stiff and uh, and, and fatigued like you think you would. So I'm going to lob this next question up to you. Why should coaches and players prioritize the weight room? Well, you know. If it's important, it has to be a priority. And for us, strength, speed, power, all of that stuff is important. You know, the pendulum has swung so far to the uh, to the side of lessons and skill work that coaches are missing half the boat because strength, power, speed, all those capacities give you the ability to be more skillful. Um, the analogy we use all the time is is if everything you do on a field, skill wise, is a drop of water. You know, lessons, everything that's involving the skill is a drop of water. What would you rather be putting that water into, a, a one-gallon bucket or a five-gallon bucket? And that's really the way to look at it is that you're building the capacity to have a lot more water, which is a lot more skill. Those, those two qualities feed off of each other, um, athletic ability and, and skill work. Um, so these, these athletes that only do lessons are missing so much of the boat. And, you know, if we could just get, get it across that they're going to be healthier, they're going to be, you know, bigger, faster, stronger, and you're going to have the capability to be more skilled on a baseball field if you train your body other than just doing lessons and skill work and things like that. You have the, you hit, you have the potential to be a, a lot better baseball player. Sticking on the subject of high school, now what is something that we as high school coaches need to do a little bit better in the weight room so that you don't have to do it whenever they get 
to you. So, I, by the way, I love the idea of having all of your freshmen go through like a basics course. I think yeah. that's fantastic. But what's one thing that you could pick out that you want us to do better with our kids? Well, for, for us, you know, the, the number one thing I would say that I see with incoming athletes is the backside. The backside is too weak. It does not get enough attention at the high school level. And when I say backside, I'm talking glutes, hamstrings, and, and scaps. Everybody wants to press. Everybody wants to train the muscles on the front side, bench press, um, abs, you know, pretty muscles. They want to train the mirror muscles, beach muscles. Performance happens on the backside. Pretty is on the front side. Performance is on the backside. You want to keep kids healthy. Honestly, get kids strong and fast. It all happens on the backside. Scaps, glutes, and hamstrings are, are the uh, powerhouse of athletic performance. So what are some exercises you could give us to be able to train the backside? For us, like I talked about earlier, uh, the two movement patterns that we focus on the most are the RDL. Um, some people you know, do a stiff-legged deadlift kind of a variation, but we focus on the RDL, teaching that hip hinge pattern. That's hammering glutes and hamstrings. The second pattern is the uh, reverse pull-up, inverted row, um, whatever you want to call it. And we teach, we teach athletes the scapular pattern that we want, which is you know, letting the uh, shoulder blades fully out, retract and depressing as you, as you come up. We want full motion throughout the shoulder blade. You know, a lot of athletes, you see, cut, cut those motions off. They don't let their arms fully extend all the way. It's, it's like what you see in a pull-up. Guys will go down to 90, 90 degrees at the elbow and go back up and you do these short, choppy motions. We want to teach the scaps to move fully around the rib cage. Those are our two biggest patterns right there. Our two biggest patterns for those for the backside is the RDL and the uh, reverse pull-up. And like I said, when we have our developmental athletes in the weight room, with the uh, July period that we get, we get a July period of four weeks with them, our freshmen. We train these patterns five days a week. We squat, RDL, hip hinge, um, our uh, reverse pull-up, ISO core series, our push-up. We do these patterns five days a week to ingrain them. And this is actually what I spoke on last year at the Texas High School Baseball uh, Coaches Association Clinic. Um, I, I presented this program and or, or how we handle the, our developmental program and what I do with our high school athletes um, in our camps and things like that. And it's all based around those five patterns. And we hammer every day, five days a week. So is that are those slides available for us to find online? Yeah, it's it's actually uh, they're available on my on my website zachdakin.com, um, and they're integrated with the PowerPoint slide with the uh, presentation itself. So you actually, I mean, it, it's kind of a great little package. It's a forty minute forty minute PowerPoint or a forty minute video. I'm sorry, and they enter their email, sends them the video, and uh, yeah, so it's all right there. Perfect. Can't wait to watch that. So let's let's talk a little bit about yourself. Going back to your first year, yourself, if you could give yourself any advice, what would that be? Well, geez, that list is long, huh? <laughs> um, the first thing I might say is is don't get locked into one to one way of thinking too much. Um, back then, you know, I'd come from a, come from a football background. Uh, a lot of times, I thought strength was the only way. I get locked in, like you hear about. A good example is the back squat. Everybody thinks the back squat's the king of exercises, right? The bench press is the only way to train the upper body. Those you, you can't get locked into thinking like that. You know, this is just a piece of this is a small piece of the puzzle to athletic development. And there's a ton of roads that lead to that that you can take. It doesn't have to be you know one thing, one thing here, one thing there. 
there's a ton of different ways to do it. And you don't want to get locked into one idea, married to one idea, so to speak. That's number one. Number two would probably be networking. I didn't realize the importance of networking as a coach, you know, starting out, I guess. And so that's a huge priority. That's something that we teach our interns, actually, uh, during the, during the internship uh, program here at TCU is that we give them assignments. You know, you've got to go network with three coaches this week. Email them, call them, strike up conversation, build a, uh, build a relationship with them because the networking is going to take you way further than, you know, that piece of paper that has your name on it. So what would your advice be for someone wanting to get into the strength and conditioning side of things? The first thing that uh, you really have to do is you have to volunteer. It's a, it's a rough road in strength and conditioning the first couple of years, but finding an internship, finding somebody that can mentor you a little bit is probably the number one way. You know, whether what we look for when we hire interns, we generally look for somebody that has previous experience in a weight room. So you want to see somebody that's, that's been around it a little bit. And or we want to see somebody that has athletic experience that's been through some type of strength and conditioning program. Because what you find a lot of times are when you do that, you kind of weed out the, the people that just want to be around an athletic department, a football team, you know, some big name athletes, things like that. You weed out some of those people. So that's, that's what we really look for is somebody that has a little bit of previous experience working as an intern um, and then somebody that has, you know, college uh, athletic experience. It's been through a program, a strength and conditioning program, but it, it all starts volunteering. It, it starts with finding a mentor. And volunteering your time, showing them that you want to be there. Strength and conditioning isn't my forte, and it's definitely not something I have a lot of background in. So for someone like myself looking to find more information about strength and conditioning, uh, what are some of your top three to four resources that you'd recommend? You know, there's the list is uh, the list could get long there too. But number one, for, for coaches that need an an easy way to implement a program. The thing that we, again, teach our interns when they first get here on how to program is a book by uh, Joe Ken. He's a uh, Carolina Panthers strength coach. But while he was at Arizona State, he wrote a book called The Coach's Strength Training Playbook. It's an easy-to-implement system. Three-day-a-week, we, that, that's actually what I started out with when I was uh, you know, an intern and a GA, how I started developing programs. It's kind of a piecemeal program that's super, super easy for an outside you know, somebody outside the field of strength and conditioning to implement for coaches like yourself. The second book that, in my opinion, that changed my outlook on how I did everything was Ultimate Back Fitness and Performance by Stuart McGill. It's a super, super easy read. It sounds really difficult, but it's a super easy read. And it's all geared towards athletic development and how you treat and handle the core and the low back. Because whether you, whether you like it or not, everybody is going to have low back problems at some point in their life. Hopefully not as an athlete, but you're going to have issues that pop up, you know, low back wise. Everybody has that. I started having it after my playing days, and it was the book that completely changed my outlook on how I train my athletes, how I train myself. That's probably my number one book. But, but like I said, the Joe Ken book is phenomenal for coaches that aren't strength coaches that need to, uh, need to find a way to implement a program. Well, and I know you didn't come on to self-promote, but you have a fantastic website as well. And can you tell us a little bit about that? Honestly, that just came from coaches like yourself emailing me. Um, I started that about seven years ago, seven or eight years ago. Started it from coaches emailing me all the time and asking questions. So I just, 
I thought this would be an easy way to answer a lot of questions and, you know, put some content out there so coaches maybe knew how to train athletes better without having to go through 15 emails a day and, and type, you know, a different response to every one. That's really how it started. And, you know, I try to keep up on it as much as possible. And I'll say in the last couple of years, I've done a better job of it, but it's, it is so hard. It's not easy because my, my time's limited. Um, we work long days and a lot of times the last thing you want to do at, like I said, eight o'clock at night when, when I get home from training athletes is sit down for another hour and try to write an article. So yeah, there's, there's spans of time where I miss, you know, I miss a couple of weeks, but I try to do the best I can to, uh, to, to just help coaches and put information out there. Well, Coach Dakin, thank you so much for coming on the show and investing some time with us today. Now, I know there will be some listeners who want to get in touch, and we already discussed your website, which I'll link in the show notes. So are there any other ways that our listeners can follow you online? And also, you mentioned you do training outside of TCU. So for our listeners that may be interested in that, can you tell us more about it? Yeah, sure. Well, you know, like you said, uh, my uh, website, www.zachdakin.com, is that's my blog where I post everything. Um, but the biggest thing we do is uh, is on Twitter for the most part. That's that's a huge baseball resource. Twitter has been, um, and that's you know just my name, Twitter, whatever it is. My handle is Zach Dakin. Uh, that's where I also post all the performance camps. So if we're doing a, a strength and speed camp for athletes, we post it on there. I'll pin it to the top. Usually we uh, we try to have uh, we we have a camp kind of over each period of uh, I guess period of training time that you know a summer period we'll have a fall period and then a lot of times we'll still do a, a spring in season period our numbers kind of dwindle there because a lot of kids stop coming like I said they stop training in the in season which is disappointing but we'll still do a little bit of a camp there so usually we have three three a year or try to get three a year in summer, fall, and spring, and, and, and they can find that information on the uh, on the Twitter. So uh, we have an Instagram, or I have an Instagram as well. I don't use that as much for uh, the baseball stuff, but um, we try to post a little bit here and there. Perfect. So before you go, is there anything else you'd like to tell our listeners? Uh, honestly, it was, a, it was a pleasure, and, you know, I, I enjoy talking to you and talking uh, strength and conditioning and development. I just enjoy talking it with anybody, and like I said earlier, you're completely welcome to come over and watch watch our training sessions. And you know, one thing that we're working on right now is putting out some material on that developmental program and how to train how to how to train your high school kids to move better. You know, we're worried about we're worried about movement, not maxes. And um, so right now, we're kind of working on uh, in the early stages of working on a book to put out for high school coaches that an easy to implement program based around our developmental developmental system. That way it kind of takes the uh, thinking out of it for a baseball coach like yourself. Well, I, th- I think we're all looking forward to that coming out, but coach Dakin, thank you again for being on the show. Yeah. Thanks, Jonathan. Thank you for listening to ahead of the curve. I would love to get in contact with you to hear your thoughts on the podcast. There are two easy ways to do that. You can email me at jgellner7 at gmail.com or find me on Twitter at AOTC underscore podcast. Also, do you like to share ideas and have conversations with other baseball coaches? Just go to facebook.com and search Ahead of the Curve Coaches to join our group. It's free, so what have you got to lose? If you're enjoying the podcast, please consider leaving a rating so others can find the show. Thanks for listening and have a great week.